This morning I just want to jump straight into Luke chapter 7. But before we get there, uh, I want to look at a couple of verses, one verse in particular. And it's my favorite verse in the Bible. It's a, it's a verse many of you would know, some of you would know. It's out of Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And literally, this is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. As you can see, the scripture says, He has shown you, O mortal man, what is good. Kind of the question is, so what does the Lord require of me? What does the Lord want me to do? How should I behave? What, what should, if I am successful in life, what would that look like? How would I live? And the scripture clearly spells it out to do three things. To act justly, or in other translations, to do what's right. Do what's right. And in any given situation, if you want to hit the heartbeat of God, do what's right. The second thing, and this is what we're going to focus on this morning, to love mercy. What should I do? Love mercy. And I find it funny, it doesn't say to be merciful. It doesn't say to express mercy. It says to love, to love it, to love mercy, which is entirely different than be merciful. One time I remember I did this. Wow, that was very merciful. But is it a definition? Is it part of my DNA? Is what I just, I can't, I can't get enough of expressing mercy. I love it. And the third thing which will also fit beautifully into the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, is to walk humbly with our God. Not just to be humble, but to walk humbly with Him. And if there was ever one who exemplified humility, it was Jesus and is Jesus. So there's three things. I just, I love it. In fact, this is um, Peter Reynolds, Dan's uh, dad, uh, Peter and Barbie Reynolds. I think they've been here a few times. Some of you will know them. He was talking about this verse probably 20, 25 years ago at a conference. And I remember the first time I was like, oh my gosh. And it just burned deep inside me. And I love it, I love it, I love it. So it's not just to be merciful, but to love it. It's so meaningful for me. Can we pray real quick? Just just pray for me. I think you're already sensing the need here. I'm a needy person. Pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are amazing. You are king of all creation. The most beautiful person in creation. You're stunning. You're breathtaking. You're more than we ever could have imagined. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here this morning with us, amongst us, in us. And Holy Spirit, we We just yield to you right now that you would have your way in us, that you would move in me, that you would move in us, that my heart would be soft, that we would sense you this morning. We would respond to you and embrace what you're showing us, showing me about Jesus, showing us, showing me about the Father, about the language of heaven, the culture of heaven, the atmosphere that makes you breathe and smile. Holy Spirit, thank you for the beauty of the Word of God. Word that I could take it this morning and mix it with faith and it would produce a rich harvest and a harvest of fruit that remains, that produces more fruit. 
thank you for what you're doing in this beautiful family of people, Lord. Holy Spirit, do miraculous things. More chains coming off. More freedom. More life. It would be like heaven in this family. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about a, a dinner, dinner party here in just a second, and an awkward dinner party at that. And so I just want to ask you a question. It's not a trick question, but let's just say, well, let me ask you a question first. Who has had Dan and Fee in your house for dinner? Just raise your hands. Okay, some of you. That's a good thing. Randy and I are still waiting for our invitation also. Yeah. I don't mention it, so I'm not going to mention it. Not hurt in any way. No, we've actually been there many, many times. Clearly, I don't get cheated when it comes to food. But let's just say Dan and Fee are going to come to your house for dinner. Would you, would you feel slightly nervous because it's Dan and Fee? Clearly, they've been there. <laughs> but some people, some people have never been to a, a pastor's house. And the thought of going to a pastor's house for dinner, it's, oh my gosh, I'd be so nervous. What would I bring? Or let's just say, let's step it up one more. They're actually coming to your house, which changes the dynamics completely. They're actually coming to your house for dinner for the first time. How would you feel? Would you feel honored? Would you feel nervous? My wife and I are funny. We do not have the gift of hospitality. Uh, I say that so just invite us over so you can practice your gift. But when people are coming to our house, we tend to just get a little nervous, get a little awkward. We have, we have a golden retriever named Dodger. He's really not intelligent. And, but we have fur balls just floating throughout our house all the time. And we love our dog. And we, we're really looking forward to seeing him in heaven. Um, we're not expediting that in any way. But I know. Uh, hang in there. Put the seatbelt on. It's going to get worse. But my wife, you know, she, you know, she's scurrying around and, and cleaning. And we, I mean, we are cleaning, scurrying around. But there's scented candles, you know. And I always tell her, okay, there's two things we can't. We can't fix broccoli when special guests are coming over. Because what happens when you cook broccoli? It stinks. It's bad. So no broccoli. That's one of the, just the, the kind of the thing. And the second thing is we're not going to have liver because, because we love Jesus. Who wants to feed something the dog shouldn't have? It, it's not appropriate. But if Dan and Fee are coming over, you just fix chocolate and everything's going to work out real, real well. Just a little tip there for when they come over. But you would want to honor them. You would want them to feel special. You would want it, just everything that you can do to bless them. But what if the king of glory were coming to your house, to your house, to your house? Jesus himself Coming to your house. Would you be concerned about making the grass if you own a house? Is, is the grass cut? Is, you know, there's, you know, the car, maybe just shine it up just a little bit. You know, no little dust bunnies. You know, Jesus, what does he eat? I don't know. It, 
but it's Jesus. Can you imagine if you lived in the day when Jesus was living and he was coming to your house, how special you would feel because everybody was talking about Jesus. He was famous. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people were following him. What if he came to your house? Oh my gosh, it's Jesus. You'd want it to be the best, the most special. Who would you invite to be with Jesus? Who would you want to be there with them? Oh my gosh, it'd be so cool. Well, get Bob and Susie and Joe and, and Cindy and Charlie and Carla. Don't, don't, do, do not invite Weird Walter, our uncle. He is not to be invited. No Weird Uncle Walter. And no Awkward Allison. She's our cousin. She chews with her mouth open. It's, she says inappropriate things. It's just... So you're going to be really picky who comes. Would you be really picky who's coming to your house if it's Jesus? No weird people, no dominating people, no people who are just going to like take the whole conversation into weird wonderland. I mean, I'm going to be really picky who's on my invitee list. But could you imagine if Jesus was actually blessed coming to your house for dinner? That he walked away smiling. I wonder what it would take. I wonder what it would take for Jesus to walk away from my house smiling. I wonder. I personally think, because of things like Micah chapter 6, verse 8, I think what would bless Jesus most is if he came to my house and he found me, my wife, who have soft hearts. We just have soft hearts. Whether the, the chicken was overdone, the, the salad was a little... Doggy, lame, little, bleh. I wonder what would bless him. I think it's a soft heart. And in those moments, I think, Jesus, may I live my life like that. But it's so possible, it's so easy for things to distract. We remember the story, many of us who are slightly familiar with the Bible, about Mary and Martha. Remember when Jesus went to their house? And Martha is in the kitchen, she's cooking, and she's so frustrated because Mary is just sitting out there doing nothing at Jesus' feet, you lazy sister. Can insert your own thoughts. It's so easy to get distracted by certain things. So easy. Martha's missing the moment. She is angry. Tell Mary to get in here and help. Missing the moment. Jesus is here. The Lord of heaven and earth is in your house. And she's angry. She's uptight. She's frustrated. Missed the moment because of something has got her slightly distracted. Not quite sure what my eye has been on, but it's not on Jesus at the party. Something is annoying me. All my OCD things are flaring. I'm here to please. All I can say is I want you happy when you walk out today. But isn't it easy, so easy for me at times to miss the moment because I'm distracted by something I shouldn't be worried about. And I can miss the presence of God. I can miss who I'm actually with because I'm distracted by something that just causes me to deflect my attention off what's important. It's so easy. 
Let's pick it up in Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. It's a simple story, familiar story for many of us. But let's look at someone in this story who is captivated by the wrong thing, focused on the wrong thing. His name was Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious dude. But because his heart wasn't soft, he didn't have a heart that loved mercy. He was embarrassed. He was humiliated. He was angry. He was frustrated. And he wanted somebody to do something about it, namely Jesus. So it's a dinner party. The king of glory is invited. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees, Simon, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, Jesus, and reclined at the table. Now, we don't do this. This is different culture, different times. There would be a table of food, like this table here, and the men, because that's probably who was the only people eating, different culture, don't get offended. The food is here. They'd be laying down, face their head in towards the table, and their feet sticking out, okay? They're literally reclining at the table. So you'd have five, six, eight, ten guys on this side, and they're, all, they're leaning in. Their head is towards the table, their feet sticking out. And again, they're not going to be wearing beautiful shoes, beautiful socks. Their feet are sticking out. So it's head in, feet out. It's amazing. And every time I read this, I always think of Dan because he hates feet. So just keep your feet clothed, you know, covered. He's not a foot person. Don't use that against him. So they reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, and that is present tense, currently, still, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. A lady of the night, everyone in town knows who she is and what she does, shows up at Simon the Pharisee's house. And she shows up with perfume. Awkward. Not invited. As she stood behind him, Jesus, as she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping. So now she's crying. I don't do crying. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Awkward. It's a party. Why are you crying? Then it gets better. Then she wiped them, his feet, with her hair. She kissed them, his feet, and poured perfume on them. Triple painful awkward. It's a dinner party. See, we don't, we just read the story. What if it's you and your house? 
and a prostitute shows up at your house in the city. Everybody knows who she is and what she is. And she shows up at your house uninvited, weeping and kissing people's feet. We don't read it like it happened. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, him, saw this, the Pharisee said to himself, he said to himself, if this man, speaking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a, a sinner. I love this next statement. Jesus answered him, which is bizarre because the Pharisee said it to himself. Internal thoughts. Simon the Pharisee is like, bogus, this Jesus guy. Bogus. If he were who I've heard he is, this, none of this would be happening. None of this, because he wouldn't allow this sort of woman to be doing this. So Jesus answered his internal thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Anytime Jesus says that, just get nervous. <laughs> Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. It's funny, I believe that's how Simon saw this man. Not as the savior of the world, not as a kind man, not as a healer, but it's just, I, I want to be taught, I want to learn. Jesus is going to teach him something, the most valuable lesson he'll ever have in his whole life. But I don't think that was what Simon thought when he called him teacher. I want some more book knowledge. Break down the Bible for me. Jesus is about ready to break down God's heart for him. So Jesus gives Simon a parable, an illustration. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage. So he owed him 500 days of work. And the other, 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. It's funny that Jesus used the word judged. Because I think that was the man's spirit. You have judged correctly. Then Jesus, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. So he's addressing the woman, looking at the woman. He says, Simon, focus here, dude. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? How often in life do I see people, but I completely miss them? I don't see what God sees. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet to wash them. 
but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Exactly. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, as her great love has shown, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus had the option of calling this woman out for who she was, living up to that day, potentially. There's no banner that says, hey, scarlet woman has changed. He had the option to call this woman, and indeed Jesus did. He called out her heart. Because this woman's heart was glaring. Jesus was not distracted by what was happening in the moment. He was absolutely laser-locked on a soft heart, laser-locked on someone who is the heart of God. This woman has a completely changed heart. So obvious to Jesus. Why? Why is it so obvious to Jesus? Because Jesus has a soft heart. Jesus can recognize it instantly because it's his native language. It's home. A soft heart. I love it. Look at this. All everybody else could see was a lady of the night doing awkward things, ruining my dinner party, making it awkward for everybody at the table. That's all they could see. The sweetness of this changed woman encountered the sweetness of a man who came to change earth by bringing heaven. He said, this is what heaven looks like. It's a changed person. The sweetness of heaven. I love it. And I want everybody to know I accept her. I bless her. Your sins are forgiven. You could have been, people could have said, well, Jesus was fooled in the moment, didn't quite understand. No, no, no. In verse 47, it was clear. Jesus said, her sins, which are many. Jesus understood exactly what was happening. He addressed it. This woman has a lot of sins, a lot of bagage. The problem is, Simon the Pharisee had a heart issue. A heart issue. He was thrilled to have Jesus around him, but he couldn't see what Jesus saw because he had a different heart. Jesus has a soft, pliable, malleable heart. And he can, Jesus can spot it in other people. But this man is cold stone hearted. I wonder what a hard heart looks like. I wonder what a hard heart actually looks like. Just a couple of words. I think a hard heart looks judgmental. I think it looks really critical. It's harsh. It's unforgiving. 
It's drawn to the broccoli. It's drawn to the flow. It's stubborn. It's sarcastic. It's condemning. It's unmerciful. If you only knew Jesus, you would throw her out and give her her comeuppance in public. And so I always think about when I read stories like this, I think, Lord, what's the condition of my heart? What is, what is the condition of my heart? What would that look like? So I have a simple, can I use a simple illustration? What does a hard heart look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Just a simple little illustration. This is actually really near and dear to my heart because of my background, which we're not going to go into. But this, my friends, is a bowling ball. Storm, it says on it. Really cool. This, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. This is hard. If it's dropped in the wrong place, it's going to cause damage. I know. You don't want to mess around with one of these. Because if it falls on you, if it bumps into you with any speed, you know what it's going to do? It's going to hurt. It's going to cause pain. It's going to break things. It's going to cause damage. I always wanted to speak French. A heart that's hard is unyielding, unbending. It's just hard. Let me show you what the alternative is. So sorry. I know. The opposite is soft. You know, so let's, John. Oh, Denny, stay right there. I know. <laughs> He's capable. Denny can do anything. Okay, you ready? Okay. Oh, my gosh. You don't want something like this bouncing around in a church, being thrown around in a church. Why? Because it hurts people. You don't want something like this bouncing around in marriage. You know why? Damage. I'm just going to put it down. Thank you. But something like this, Denny. Hey! John! Oh! Cincinnati Reds fan! John! Promise not to hit the wife. Oh, a lefty! Look at this! When I'm throwing the ball around, everybody's going, oh, no. When I'm throwing this around, everybody's smiling. Everybody, Barb, any chance? Yes. Yes. Come on, Barb. Oh, it was a bad throw. It came in high and hot. My fault. Bad throw. Soft heart, people smile. Soft heart, people are involved. You're not afraid to throw something soft into the group. It's fun. Nobody's afraid. Everybody's waiting. Throw it to me. I won't drop it. 
It's soft. And it, nobody's worried about the condition of the stage. Nobody jumps when a soft heart falls. So I think, Lord, how can I be like this? And I just want to conclude with a couple of thoughts. What is, honestly, what is, from Jesus' perspective, what is the condition of my heart? The last thing I want is a hard heart. The last thing. So often, so many people are struggling in their marriage, are struggling with their kids, kids struggling with their parents. Why? Because there's hard hearts involved. Trouble at work. Trouble in relationships just because of a hard heart. But everybody wants to be involved with a soft heart. So, Lord, how am I? How do I get a soft heart? I've been married long enough, 37 years, to have experienced in marriage when you just recognize you're a little surly, a little sarcastic. Anybody ever been there yourself? Not talking about your spouse. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you the stories. I'll give you names, dates. But do you ever, you know, your kids walk in, your friends walk in, and you just give a snippy attitude, and you just recognize that wasn't very nice. I got a hard heart. I don't really care. There's more where that came from. How would I know about a hard heart? First thing, and we, we do this in St. Louis. We, we pastor a Life Streams church in St. Louis, and we're so blessed to serve the people there. It's, it's, it's amazing. Three and a half years old, and we try and bring the same culture that Dan and Fee and Jeremy and Diane and John and Mary, the same culture that's here about honor and loving people really, really well and, and living out soft heart in front of people. We really try and exemplify that culture that Jesus exemplifies at awkward dinner parties. So every, every week, I tend to conclude the message on Sunday if I'm speaking with something called GBH. Great. But how? I always hated going to, I've been in, in churches for 40 years this summer, been a Christian 40 years this summer, and I was always, there's something on the inside just to always frustrate me. You hear a message, you're like, ha, great. I have no idea how to apply that. Really enjoyed that. Or not so much. He should have finished early. <laughs> Easy, Lily. I'm closing. <laughs> but great. But how do I do that? The first thing, the first GBH, just one or two, is self-awareness. Do I have people around me to help me? Do I have people being self-aware? And the only way that I know how to remain soft-hearted after many, many years of marriage, I've got kids, really helps you show where you're at, have kids, have a lot of them, really helps your self-awareness. But the GBH on self-awareness is having regular encounters with God in his presence. I, I heard, I think it was this couple here are going to do an encounter next week. Um, our church in St. Louis started with meetings called Encounter. It was just Holy Spirit, just worship. I don't know a better way than to keep my heart soft or to get it soft than to encounter Jesus and the presence of God. You think, well, 
you know, what does that look like? Can I just use one more quick illustration for encountering God and what that would look like? And real, real simple. I may need John Washko for this one, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he dropped the ball the first time. But we're not talking about that. Again, Cincinnati Red fan. Exactly. I don't know. I find at times, living through life, my heart can be like this, this towel. Now, this towel, I stole it from Fee's house. I'll probably return it. You recognize it? Yes, yeah, somebody else's. Yeah. Welcome to the party. My heart, a lot of times, can be like this towel. It's incredibly functional. It has an unlimited ability, but it's very dry. It's very, very dry. Now, it can absorb a lot. It can clean a lot, but it is very dry. And self-awareness actually helps me, Lord, what, am I kind of surly? Am I crabby? Am I sarcastic? Am I just not pleasant around people? And I find a, a mentality for church people, and this is just in my own experience. You probably, you know, that's okay. But I have found a lot of times people expect to have their hearts changed by coming to a Sunday meeting. I think, if I start going to church regularly, I have a soft heart. I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to be... I'm going to be kind and everything. And I, I kind of look at it like this, like somebody going to a swimming pool and doing something like this on a Sunday. Kind of go like this. Okay, I won't get you. <laughs> Promise. Okay. So this is, this is what a lot of people think of encountering God. <laughs> I am soaking wet, baby. Now, I have six days, and then next week, Oh, no, I'll hear about it later. Okay, it's next Sunday. Ow! Oh. The problem is I'm not actually soaking wet. Just going to meetings really, really is important. It should just be the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. But Jesus has something different for me and you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of you can't see this. Uh, careful, Tom, careful. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you are so, you're a giver, Jeremy. Give, give, give. Jesus has a different idea of how he'd like my heart to look like. A different idea. That this would be how I get a soft heart. My heart would look like saturated, dripping. And the only way that my hard heart can do that is to stay regularly full. And you know, when something's saturated, it actually has a sound. You can hear it from a long ways away, and it, you can see it from a long ways away. And Jesus' desire is that I wouldn't be dry and full of potential, full of being options to be saturated. But what he's actually wanting is that it's saturated all the time. It's its normal environment. And you can keep it saturated as much as you want. The towel won't complain. It's just dripping. How do I have a soft heart? Encountering the presence of God. 
living in his presence so that I'm dripping. Whenever you squeeze Jesus, what came out of him? Soft heart, kind. Literally, he's hanging on the cross. He is hanging on the cross. And what does he say about the guys down at his feet who just hung him there? What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Are you kidding me? They just nailed him to the cross. Of course they know. Get him. If anybody knows what they're doing, it's them. They just did it. But when you squeeze Jesus on the cross, losing his life, what's coming out of him? Mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Definition of mercy is I have the capacity to judge. I have the capacity to show harshness. I have the capacity to give them what they deserve. But instead, I'm going to show them the opposite. I'm going to show them kindness and grace and love. This woman, she's a prostitute. But you squeeze Jesus in the moment and mercy comes out of him. I was in this room with my wife on May 20 of 2011, downstairs. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit of something called Sozo. Anybody ever hear of Sozo? May 20 of 2011. My wife and I had come through an amazingly painful time in our life. And I went downstairs. Dan tricked me into the appointment. It's only slightly true. And the Holy Spirit encountered me in a moment. And I felt like it was a, I'd been in a fight with a porcupine. Quills were just coming out of me. And my heart was changed in a moment. We came here two days later on May 22nd of 2011. It was in this very building. And Randy and I were sitting where Jeremy and Diana are sitting now and Ian Raleigh and his wife Mar or Ian Russell were sitting over here and I was waiting for Ian and Marge to come up and speak. And Dan put two chairs on the stage and he just he'd known we had just gone through an amazingly difficult time. People had backed into my car. A lot. And on purpose. And my wife and I were very, very damaged. Very damaged. And Jesus on the Friday had touched me on the inside, but I just, man, I just, it was an, I was amazingly changed. And then on two days later on that Sunday, they, Dan and Fee brought us up front and prayed for us, and a number of prophetic words, Jeremy and Diana brought a powerful, powerful word that literally was life-changing for me. And I was sitting here, because we were sitting on the chairs, and, it, and maybe some of the people will know, what an ugly cry is? Anybody ever heard of an ugly cry? I don't like to cry. I don't like it when you cry. Can we not cry? Let's just have a party instead. A lot of chocolate. I sat up here and snot, I'm sorry, snot was coming out from my nose onto the floor because the Holy Spirit was touching me and I was being changed and healed in a moment. And I'm still walking out. And you know it's an ugly cry when different ladies are handing you tissues, you know, kind of under and over. It was an ugly cry. But that day, 
May 22 of 2011, I encountered the love of God. And he began healing me on the inside. And there's people in this room who need that. You are desperate. And can I encourage you next week to come to the encounter meeting and get into the presence of God? You may feel like at times, maybe just at times, your heart is more like this. The antidote is the presence. The antidote is the love of God. It's him. To live saturated, not running through a mist once a week. It's him. And the last thing, this will take 60 seconds, the second great but how, is help other people see the elephants. Second great but how, help other people see the elephants. My wife and I like to take our kids, grandsons, to the zoo. And my oldest grandson, Noah, loves the elephants. And every time we go, he jumps out of his little stroller and he runs over and he's like this. And all he's seeing is the backside of everyone else. So I pick my son up and put him on, my grandson, put him on my shoulders so he can see what he's supposed to see. Can I encourage you? You may be in a sweet spot. You you may not have issues with your heart. Can I just encourage you, help other people see the elephants, to put people on your shoulders. And if I can say this, that's exactly what Jesus did at the awkward dinner party. He picked a lady up, put her on his shoulders. I want you to experience the love of the Father. I want you to experience forgiveness. I want you to be able to see the love of God. Help other people see the grace of the kindness, the softness of God. You can do it. And, it. and it may just begin with just relating with people, getting together with people, having them over for dinner. That's not awkward. But to love people. Can we all stand, please? I'm going to turn this over to Jeremy in just two seconds. Jesus, I thank you for this amazing group of people. I thank you for your kindness and your grace and your mercy and your love. I thank you, Jesus, that you took my sinful, ugly, horrific life and you showed me love and you showed me forgiveness. And I thank you that that's what you're all about all the time. All the time. And you took my awkwardness, Lord, and you still embraced me and changed me from the inside out. And Father, I pray for people here right now that they know wherever there's, they just know too much sourness on the inside, too much hardness on the inside, too much stubbornness and sarcasm and judgment and unwillingness to bend, unwillingness to yield in relationships. Lord, that we would hold our hands out and say, Jesus, help me. I just want to stand in your presence and let the sweetness of a king named Jesus change me from the inside out. Lord, that you would touch me. Lord, I want to mirror you. I, do, I want to be just like you. That when I'm squeezed, sweetness comes out. Not a bowling ball that makes people recoil. Jesus, that I, that we, would all be self-aware and stop projecting on other people. I can only do me. Help me, Lord. Help me, help me, help me. Holy Spirit, I yield to you and touch me. I submit to you. If you're in that place where you want someone to pray for you, 
my wife and I, we've had people run into our car a lot over the years, emotionally. And unfortunately, we probably backed into a few cars ourselves. But we have one that we can appeal to. who changes everything. And if you'd like Randy and I to pray for you, we would love to pray for you. Because he hasn't changed. still soft and Jesus loves mercy he loves it he dispenses it with all liberality and without measure so if you'd like come up after the meeting Randy and I'd love to pray for you